Hello, St Andrews, let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much that you are kind and good. Help us to see that in the way you have changed our past, the way you lead us in the present and the wonderful hope we have in the future. Reset our vision, Father, that we may see your kindness and goodness in this. In Jesus' name, amen. I love photos and my absolute favourite photos are the candid ones, not the rehearsed ones or the professional ones, not the ones where we're wearing our Sunday best and the, the practised smiles, but just normal life, real life in living colour or if you're getting creative, perhaps sepia. You know, those moments, perhaps a, a child at play, uh, uh, unaware of the, the camera's focus or uh, a good friend in the midst of a deep belly laugh, whatever it may be. Th those are the precious moments to be captured. Well, let me ask you this. If, if we were to take a candid camera moment of your life, circa June 2020, if the camera was hidden and, and we captured you in the midst of life at the moment, uh, what sort of moment would we capture of you in the journey of life? Numbers 11 is a snapshot of the life of God's people on their journey home, having been rescued out of slavery from Egypt by God. They're now wandering through the desert on the way to the land that God has promised them. And as they look back along the path, back towards Egypt, and as they look around in their present circumstance and situation, as they squint sort of hazily into the distance, uh, the camera clicks. Numbers 11 is that footage and not just the, the picture, we have the audio as well. Do you remember it from last week? Hopefully you've got Numbers 11 open in front of you there. Have a look at verse 1 of Numbers 11. Now the people complained about their hardships, that's the audio, or, or this, verse 4. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Or verse 10, the people of every family were wailing, each at the entrance of their tent. Turn up the volume on God's people here in this candid camera moment and what you hear is the sound of hearts at disquiet, discontent, uh, grumbling. And so let me ask you again, 2020, what, what, what does the camera capture of you? Would it capture a satisfied heart, a heart that is content in its present? Would it capture a heart that is joyful, perhaps not loud, but quietly joyful? Or would the sounds be more in tune with the ones that we hear in Numbers 11? What is the current soundtrack of your life if it was to be recorded? I suspect all too often for all of us that the candid camera would, would catch us in moments of disquiet, moments of discontent and grumbling. And if it did, I, I suspect for some of us, if that's what the recording played back, uh, we might think, phew, it, it could have been worse. I mean, it could have been a moment of uh, idolatry as we, we got fixed on something other than God or, or perhaps a moment of sexual immorality that, 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 that the camera caught us in. It could be so much worse than grumbling. But you remember from 1 Corinthians 10 that we read last week, uh, this attitude that we have that grumbling is not so bad, everyone does it, it's just the air we breathe. Well, listen again to 1 Corinthians 10. Do not be idolatrous as some of them were, and don't commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. But then this, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by a destroying angel. 
1 Corinthians 10 tells us that alongside the obvious dangers of things like idolatry or sexual immorality, grumbling has just as much power to derail the Christian life. And last week we saw the power of grumbling up close in this chapter, Numbers 11. We, we saw how contagious it is. We saw that it's actually caused by a heart that is, is unbelieving. We saw that it is the sound a slave makes. And these next two weeks, what we're going to focus on now is how do we overcome this, this grumbling sin? And part of that we're going to see, this is the focus, part we'll focus on today, part of it is resetting your vision, refocusing the, the lens through which you see life, both your past and your present and, and your future. Grumbling is a result of actually a flawed view of life, a camera out of focus, and where we think too highly of our past, perhaps, or, or too little of the present, and, well, perhaps not at all of our future. To stop grumbling, you actually have to reset your vision. And so let's do that together. Let's think of our past, present, and future, starting with seeing your past clearly. And as we do that, let me ask you this. Is your life with Jesus... If you're a Christian, is your life with Jesus much different to life without him? Perhaps you've been a Christian for many years, but can you remember before you were a Christian, if there's a moment when you became a Christian, can you remember, remember the difference uh, between the two? We heard something of that in, in Steph Howe's testimony. Well, perhaps if you've been a Christian all your life, can you see much difference between your life and perhaps those that you, you, you know and love who are not Christians? Now, I suspect most of us would say, yeah, yeah, of course life is different. It's better in, in lots of ways. But I also suspect we'd look at our past life and say, well, life without Jesus is not without its merits either. There were good things. That's Israel in Numbers 11. Yes, they were God's special people. Yes, they'd been rescued. Yes, they had this future journey ahead of them to the promised land. But, but their past wasn't too bad. In fact, you have a look at verse 5. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost and the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, onions, garlic. But verse 5 is actually a complete misreading of their past. Pull back this seemingly veggie-fueled delusion that they have of their past and see the reality. Yeah, here's two things that mark the past for Israel that we read about in the Scriptures, especially in the book of Exodus. First, here's what their past was marked by. It was marked by the fact that they were slaves ruled by a cruel dictator. Every thought, every step, every action that the Israelites took in Egypt was marched to the beat of Pharaoh, the dictator of Egypt's drum. They were slaves uh, marked by frustrating, almost pointless labour. He'd make them make bricks without straw, an almost impossible task. And if they ever measured up to his quota, he'd just raise the bar. They were slaves ruled by a cruel power. And more than that, they were slaves who were dead men and women walking. Uh, if you read a chapter like Exodus 5, we see there that they were spurred on by slave drivers, shackled and led in their chains. And every step, where was it leading them to? Well, it was leading them to a ruler with a sword ready to kill them. I mean, could there be a, a greater misreading of their past than this? They were actually slaves on death row. You know, the myth goes, or perhaps it's true, I don't know, that uh, those who are on death row, those who are facing the death penalty, that 
uh, in the hours before their, their, their punishment, they're, they're offered a meal of their choice, whatever you want. And I don't know whether you've ever thought of that, but uh, I've got my meal planned out. If I ever find myself in that situation, I would like a large helping of bangers and mash, a very large strawberry milkshake and a family-sized pavlova. That's, that's my plan. But how odd it would be that if I was in that situation and they said it's mealtime, I, I thought, you beaut, this is like the greatest day of my life. I finally get this perfect meal. Take one last bite and all that waits is a guard who stands behind me and yells, dead man walking. And you stare down the corridor of the path ahead and there at the end is your judge with a sword and you think, hey, but at least I've got a cucumber and melons and leeks and garlic. They'd forgotten their past, but the Lord hadn't. He remembered. He'd seen this cruel power. He'd heard their desperate cries in Egypt and he'd acted. Uh, Listen to this from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. He said, remember you were slaves in Egypt, says the Lord, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with his mighty outstretched arm. Remember what happened, says God. So let me ask you again, do you think your life with Jesus is much different to life without him. I mean, life without him still had blessings, doesn't it? Uh, I I think I was a Christian, uh, not a Christian for the first 12 years of my life. I loved those years in lots of ways. You don't have to be with Jesus to enjoy life, surely. But Christian, if you view your past without him or the life of those who presently live without him with jealousy or pining after that past, you're not looking properly. You've forgotten who you were. Remember, we've heard it as we've uh, looked this year through the book of Ephesians. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, it spoke of our past and it said this, As for you, you were dead in your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. You were by nature an object of wrath. The Bible's assessment of life without Jesus is actually very simple. You're a dead man walking. Without Jesus, you were or you are a slave ruled by sin. That's the Bible's testimony. And every step in that direction is not a step step towards self-determination. It's a step towards self-destruction. Without Jesus, you are ruled by the world and the ruler of this world, Satan, and he makes Pharaoh look like a teddy bear. Christian, remember who you were. Slaves ruled by a cruel power. Remember who you were. You were, uh, as for you, you were dead. We look at verse 5 in Numbers 11 as Israel misreads their past completely and think, what sort of person on death row thinks, well, at least I have a cucumber? Well, Christian, your past is no different. You had no more solid defence than a cucumber, be it your career or your family or your wealth or your experiences or whatever it may be. None of them will stand up when it comes to the judge. Now, while we may forget our past, God doesn't. He remembers He knows it took a mighty outstretched arm to rescue you as well. Jesus, your saviour's arms outstretched on that cross. Nothing else could defeat the cruel power that, that held sway over you, the power of sin and death. Ephesians says of your pastor, as for you, you were dead. But as for God, well, in his very great and powerful mercy, he made you alive again, even when you were dead in your sins. You see, the cure for grumbling starts here. It starts in resetting your vision of the past. Life, life, 
Is life different now that you're with Jesus? Well, it's as different. This is how different it is. It's as different as freedom is to slavery. It's as different as life is to death. If you want to be a thankful Christian, set up camp at the foot of the cross. Fix your eyes, the eyes of your heart on your your Saviour's outstretched mighty arms of grace for you and I dare you to grumble. See your past clearly. Secondly, see your present clearly. I mean, in one sense, the past is simple, isn't it, to fix our eyes on its concrete, the reality of the cross and what God has done for us in Jesus. That's the ultimate argument stopper. But the present, it's it's actually harder to pin down, isn't it? Our our present circumstances and experiences, we can spin them in a hundred different ways, all of which involve me convinced that life should be better or different that I've got a hard deal, the if-only perspective. That's what we see here in the mirror in Numbers 11. Do you see it there, verse 6? But now they say, now in the present, we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but manna. In one sense, uh, it's tempting to agree with them, isn't it? Boring manna. I sort of picture porridge. Uh, uh, You can imagine it. What's for breakfast? Manna. How about lunch? Uh, Manna. Dinner, manna, and on and on it goes. But the narrator actually helps us here. Manna is precious and beautiful. Verse 7 says it was like resin. It was one of the prized substances. It was one of the things that grew in the land of Eden, the good stuff. And verse 8 actually details the many ways it can be enjoyed. It reads almost like a Jamie Oliver cookbook. And the NIV misses some of the colour. Literally, it says there, it was like... pastry cooked with the finest oils. It's basically a French patisserie dropping into your lap each day. It was manna from heaven, food fit for angels, miracle food. Every day God provided it. And it wasn't just the manna he provided either. He provided their every need. Deuteronomy 29 during, uh, we're told this, during the 40 years that, that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. And not just the physical needs either, for the Lord knew that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that he speaks. And so he provided them the leader Moses who would speak God's word to them and God's purposes to them and to to lead them to life, not death. And perhaps most wonderfully, the Lord provided their greatest need, his presence in a cloud by day, in the fire by night. As we're told in Exodus 19, this is God's description of their present experience. I carried you on eagle's wings. I brought you to myself. I mean, this is why grumbling is so serious. Verse 1, uh, have a look at it. The people complained about their hardship in the hearing of the Lord. Or verse 18, the Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat. We were better off in Egypt. Or or how about this verse 20? You have rejected the Lord who is among you. You wail before him. He's right there in front of you. And yes, there's offence in in rejecting God's provision of food, but, but don't get the picture here of God as some sort of petulant chef who's upset that they don't like his French cooking. No. The great offence is this. Right there, in the present moment, as, as they moaned, God was with them. The Lord who had promised himself, I will be your portion. I will be your very great reward. Even if the manna vanished, 
Even if the sandals and their feet fell apart, even if their clothes did wear through, their, their cup would still overflow because he was with them. It's the picture we get in uh, Psalm 73, uh, one of my favourite Psalms, which has this perspective. It says this, Whom have I, Lord, in heaven but you? And on earth nothing that I desire beside you. You know, my flesh and my heart may fail, but you are my, my strength, the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The Lord, he's enough, says the psalmist. And I reckon we're meant to feel the challenge of this. If I grumble in my present circumstances, it is me saying in his presence, you know what, Lord, you're not enough. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I do most of my grumbling, not in public, but in, in private. Uh, and Liz gets the most, hears most of it. And I reckon I do most of my grumbling actually in the kitchen. That's my official grumbling zone. It's almost like you could put a little plaque up there, a sign saying grumbling zone. I don't know whether you have one, and I do recommend the kitchen if you're looking for one. I think I grumble there because I think I'm alone there. And no one hears what spills out of my heart other than Liz, and she's heard the worst of it anyway. But he's there. Verse 20, I wail before him. He's not left the room. He's there as I complain and as I express my disquiet and my dissatisfaction. It's my heart saying in those moments, you know what, Lord? I think you got this day wrong. Five out of ten at best. I need more. Lift your game. It's me saying in his presence, you know what, you're not enough, I need more. Is that not the same as Israel here in Numbers 11? We, ne we need to reset our vision of, of the present. And to that end, uh, let, let me suggest as you approach this coming week to have this refrain in your head. It's actually a refrain, uh, one of the most common refrains you'll hear in, in the Psalms and the Scriptures. It's this, the Lord is kind and he is good. The Lord is kind and he is good. Now, I, I'm not encouraging you to say that as some sort of mantra, you know, like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, that if you click your heels together and say that enough times and maybe spin around three times, then maybe life will be full of kindness and goodness. No, it's not a mind game. I'm suggesting that it is the truth lens through which we need to view our present circumstances because it is true. This is how God is towards us. He is kind and he is good. That's who he is towards you always. This is the God who is with you and provides for you. He is kind and good. So look for that. Expect that from him. So let me encourage you to try that this week. Make that your task this week. Look for and rejoice in God's kindness and goodness to you and to others around you. Now, let me give you an example. Here's a worked example. I've tried this over, over recent days. And if I was to describe to you my, my recent uh, weeks, uh, I, I could tell you all sorts of things. I could tell you about the 35 times that my children have fought over who sits where in the car or who gets the last of the orange juice or who is the most annoying. Now, I can tell them that, but that's, well, I'll leave that aside. I could tell you how three of our car tyres were slashed in one night and I couldn't move either of the cars because of the amount of tyres that were slashed. And I could tell you about how our vet wants us to take our dog for counselling. I could tell you of the many hours that we've had to spend putting dots and arrows and signs and sanitizer and you name it to make this church COVID safe. 
and uh, only to have the plans change, of course, as soon as the last sign goes up and the frustration of that. I, I could tell you about that for hours. I could tell you about frustrations I have with people, disappointments in myself, insecurities I have, the mounting failures I'm, I'm aware of, the fears I have for those I love, some of them which bring me to tears, the sense of inadequacy that I often feel. I could go on. But that's only part of the story. So I can tell you about uh, the absolute thrill it was last Sunday to see folk back in this church. You know, I've grieved the lack of it. And to see them back here in this church as we had our Thanksgiving and prayer meeting, God's people giving thanks to him. It's so good. I could tell you of the joy of uh, hearing Steph Howe's story that we've heard uh, together today and and being reminded of how relentlessly good our God is and how he does not give up on us. I can tell you of the, the joyful and servant-hearted band, of, uh, a small band of really technically skilled people who have worked so hard to, to keep the live stream afloat so that we could be together as a church. And each Friday night, I, I find them here late into the night tinkering away as we make changes. I can tell you of a dear friend who, who never fails to send me a text each month to tell me he's prayed for me, but not just to tell me he's prayed for me, tell me exactly what he's prayed, and it's usually exactly what I need. I can tell you how much I love the mild sunshine this week or walking the dog with my wife each night. Or I can tell you of the refreshment I've experienced in hearing God's word in Galatians, which is where I'm up to in my Bible reading. I can tell you of unexpected prayers. I, I, I could go on. Reset your vision of the present. The Lord is good and he is kind and he is near. Finally this, reset your view of the future. See your future clearly. Come to the mirror of Numbers 11 one more time with me. We've seen their view of the past. We've seen their view of the present. Now let's see their view of the future. Have a look with me. Let's see. It's uh, verse, uh, verse, where is it? Sorry, I'll find it in a second. Uh, verse, hang on a minute, verse, um, well, here's the shock. It's not even there. You look through Numbers 11, you try to find their view of the future, their their promised future, the the land that they're heading to, but their future is not even on the horizon, it's it's vanished. Here's the truth, You, you cannot stop grumbling if you can't see your future. It's right to rejoice in your rescue from the past. It's right to see God's kindness now in, in the present circumstances you experience, and there'll be plenty of it. But, but what of this? And I suspect there will be some like this as we think about this together. What if your present is actually worse than your past? What then? This present life can creak and groan in ways that make it very, very hard to stop grumbling, genuinely hard. And if this desert life was all there is, if, if this was all that we had before us, then grumble away. Who'd blame you? But if, like Israel, there is a hope, a promise given by a God who is faithful to his promises, if, like them, God didn't just save you from your past or carry you into the present through the desert with his mighty outstretched arm, but if his mighty outstretched arm is actually strong enough to carry you all the way through the wilderness, to his place, his home with him, then as you feel grumbling and craving and disquiet and disconnect welling up in your heart, 
As justified as it may feel in the present, remember this, no eye has seen, nor heart conceived, nor, nor, nor heart comprehended what God has prepared for those that love him. Remember, there is a land beyond the desert. There is another place and God doesn't want it to be on your horizon. He wants it to fill your horizon. And so let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, fix your eyes on that future. They were heading to the promised land. You're heading to a new creation, a new heaven, new earth. That's what's in front of you. Remember where you are right now. This is the desert. It might be a very good desert, but it's the desert. Don't expect all this desert life to be one long pleasant experience, safe and comfortable and easy and healthy and plentiful. Don't even expect that's for your best in the present. But do expect that throughout all life throws your way, God's kindness and presence will be there. Know that whatever comes, his grace will be sufficient for you, that he will provide everything you need and he will lead you safely home just as he has promised. And remember this, our present difficulties will make that final rest all the more sweet. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs it all. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are kind and good. Help us to see that. Help us to see our past and to see the glorious, outstretched, merciful, mighty arms of the Lord Jesus bringing us from death to life, from slavery to freedom. Help us to see your kindness and goodness in your daily provision and your presence with us. And help us to fix our eyes and expand our hearts longing for the future you have planned for us. We pray this for our good and for your glory's sake. Amen.